Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Judges and chapter number 14. Judges chapter number 14 is where we're going to be this morning. Judges 14. I'm going to read, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 14, and then we'll lay some foundation and uh, see what God has for us in this today. Judges chapter 14, verse 1. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her and and, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. And so his father went down to the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do, and it came to pass when they saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. Father, help us, I pray, as we study, Lord, today in this chapter of thy word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and do with us, dear God, in our hearts and lives. Would you apply this in the way, Lord, that we need it applied? I'm grateful for every person here and and I know that you're not surprised by one person that's with us. And so speak, Lord, speak to us and, and to give us that which we have need of today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And for his sake we pray it. Amen. In a couple of weeks we're going to actually be in our midweek Bible study in the book of Judges. And when we do that we'll talk a little more in detail, give a little bit of a larger overview of the, of the book. It's so full of history and really of significant characters during this time, the time period of the Judges. It's, there's a lot of unique and significant people during that time that God used in the, the life and the history of the nation of Israel. And, and there are lessons in Judges that are applicable to our Christian lives today. I think it's important for our study today that we recognize that, that in the book that we'll discuss in, again in more details in a few weeks... There are seven cycles, seven cycles that are seen in the life of Israel. These cycles are, first of all, the children of Israel enjoy the blessings of the Lord. God is blessing their life. They have, they have around them the things that they need to live a joyful, happy life in their relationship with their God. And yet as they live in prosperity, they become lax rather than staying uh, in tune and rather having the edge to their spiritual sharpness, they become lax in their walk with God. And so they drift from God because of that laxness. So they're blessed and they enjoy blessings, yet because of the blessings, they lose their alertness and their focus. And because of that, they begin to drift from God. The third thing is that God then sends a God then sends opposition into their life. He realizes that if they're not going to serve and turn to me in time of blessing, then I'll remove the blessings. And, and under that opposition, Israel finds himself in trouble. And, 
and uh, they are in their rebellion away from God and not doing so well. So then after a time period, and some of the things that shocks me in the book of Judges is the length of the time period that actually goes on before they finally have enough sense to turn back to God, and yet they do. And they pray to God, they cry out to God, and so God then sends a deliverer to them who delivers them from the opposition that places them back into a time of prosperity and blessing, and the cycle happens over and over again. (coughs) Repeat that seven times. Blessings, laxity, drifting, opposition, repentance, deliverance, blessings. Over seven times that happens in the book of Judges. And, and, and as you read that book, you, you, you find yourself wondering, will they ever learn? But can I, can I ask you, is that not true of us today? Do we, not, do we not go through some of the very same struggles that in prosperity we tend to relax ourselves spiritually and we, we, we tend to let our guard down, so to speak, and, 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 and rather than being aware of the fact that there's a roaring lion that walketh about seeking whom he may devour, uh, we become lax. I've told you this illustration before, but when I was young, my older brother who boxed in the Navy was training me and, 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 and so one day during our training session, he said, all right, put your, put your, drop your hands down by your side. We were in the middle of the round. I dropped my hands down by my side, and he hit me with a right cross and buckled my knees. And I saw, I'm talking, I didn't just see stars. I saw a constellation. I mean, I, the Milky Way, it was just, I mean, stars were everywhere. And, and I, I was stunned, and as my stunning, as I began to come back around a little bit, Anger came with it, and I looked at him, and I said, what, what, what are you doing? And he said this, you never drop your guard. And that's a, that's a lesson that stuck with me all of my life. And, and the reality of that, it applies spiritually, because here these people were, and in the time of blessing, they dropped their guard. And because of that, they became susceptible to so many things. It's it's same bat time, same bat channel. It happens over and over again. It's the same old, same old. The same cycle, the same problem, the same difficulty, the same hardship that happens in our life so many, many times. Chapter 13, verse 1, we we read the sad beginning of, of what is the... It's, what, it's the beginning of the 13th deliverer that God's going to send to them. And the children of Israel did evil. What's that next word? Again. Okay, this is the first time. Again. Wait a minute. No. This guy that's going to come will be the 13th judge, the 13th deliverer. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines. How many years? Forty. Wow. I mean, really? Really? 40 years of oppression, 40 years of servitude, 40 years of of misery? You wonder if they ever asked themselves the question, was that worth it? I mean, at the end of 40 years, okay, okay, was that worth it? We, We did evil. We had our ride. We had our fun. But was it worth 40 years of oppression? Was it worth 40 years of, 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 of servitude was the sin we enjoyed worth the price we paid? Why didn't we, why didn't we consider the consequences before we bought into a life of sin? But people so very rarely ever do that. Now in chapter 13, you can read that later, there is a childless couple. The man's name was Manoah. And God comes to them and he tells them that they will have a son and that their son will be the next great deliverer in the nation of Israel and he will, he will free them from their bondage. Now, they tell the angel, <coughs> excuse me, the angel tells Manoah that the son that is to be born will be a Nazarite from birth and for life, okay? 
And, and he says in verse number 5 of chapter 13, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, everybody watch me. Everybody with me? I want to help you with this. Nazarite is not the same as Nazarene. Okay? Okay? Jesus was not a Nazarite. He didn't, Jesus didn't take a Nazarite vow. Jesus was a Nazarene. That means he was from Nazareth, okay? That's the city. A Nazarite was somebody that took a, a voluntary, willful vow that they would separate themselves unto the Lord. The, the word Nazarite literally means consecrated or separated. So it's like a time of deep consecration that someone would give to the Lord for, for a, 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 a determined period of time. And there was no set time period it was just between the, the, the person who made the Nazarite vow and God. Go with me to number six. Everybody turn to number six. Let me show you something here so, so that you'll understand this. Numbers chapter six. Numbers chapter six. And let's find out what the specifications for a Nazarite were. All right. Numbers chapter six, verse one. Number 6, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whenever a man or a woman shall separate themselves to a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, number 1, look at verse 3, He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine, nor vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink liquor of any grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried all the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree or from the kernels even to the husk. So he could not participate in something that was from the vineyard, whatever it was. Now, I mean, not, not even Welch's grape jam, okay? Couldn't have any of that because he had a, that was part of his Nazarite vow. Now, there are reasons for this. I don't, this would take us, yeah, I can't do it. I can't go into the, all the reasons behind it. Maybe, maybe we'll do that in our study of the book. Uh, 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 look in verse number five. All the days of this vow, the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head. Until the days be fulfilled, which he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. Now, so people say, well, you know, they, they had hair down to their waist. No, they just, they didn't cut their hair for however the long time period was of their vow. If it was three months, they didn't cut their hair for three months. Okay, if it was six months, they cut their hair for six months. It wasn't, these, these were... These were specific time periods. Now, Samson was different because his was a lifetime vow. He was a Nazarite chosen by God for life, okay, and from birth. So you couldn't have anything of the vine, okay? You, he, he was not to cut his hair. Look in, look in the third thing, verse number 6. All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother, or for his brother, or for his sister when they die because the consecration of God is upon his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy unto the Lord. And, and so the reality of the matter is he was not to be able to touch a dead carcass of a human or an animal or anything else. That was part of the Nazarite vow. So three things, nothing from the vine. No razor would come to their head, and they would not come near a dead body. Now, this child was special in that his was not a three-month vow or a six-month vow or a year vow. His vow was given to him by God, chosen to be a Nazarite for the length of his life, okay? So that's the guy, that's, that, that's the, that's the guy that we're going to talk about here, Samson the Nazarite, who God has chosen to be the deliverer for the children of Israel. Now, chapter 13 ends with these words, verse number 24, And the woman bare a son, and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Lord began to move him at the camp, uh, in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now, first thing I want you to notice is this about the life of Samson. The first thing I want you to notice is that Samson had a spiritual purpose, okay? Everybody with me? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, Samson had a spiritual purpose in his life. There was God, listen to me. No, God was using him. First thing it says is that the child grew. 
Now, I think, why would you put every child grows? So why is it? I think the significance of that is simply this, is that we know that, that though he was chosen as a baby, now he's growing, okay? He's growing, and, and, and I think it's essential to our, our, our study to realize that he's not going to remain now as the child. So here's a child chosen by God, given a purpose to do for God, and yet as he grows older now, his own volition becomes engaged in this. Now, now it's going to get to the point to where he's not just going to be under the, the domain of his parents' authority. The child grew. Every child grows. And in your life, your children are small, and we do our best to raise them for the honor and the glory of God, but there has to come a time when they make that choice for themselves. And I want to say to all our kids here, I want you to listen to every one of you young people that's in our room today. I want you to hear me out well. All you teenage, young teenagers, listen to me carefully. You, you now live under the authority of your mom and dad. And they've got rules and regulations in your life, some of which you may not care for and some of which you may think are a little too strict. But can I tell you this? There's going to come a day and a time, number one, you're going to make some choices for yourself. And if you want to break the heart of, of your parents and break the heart of of, of those that have invested in you and break the heart of God. If you want to live a life of rebellion, then there's going to come a day in your life when you can make that choice for yourself. But why would you do such a thing? When God has given you a home to grow up in that is an honorable home, and your mom and dad aren't perfect. I, I don't know any parents that have ever stood up and said, hey, I'm perfect. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's possible. And, and, and so... I mean, every home, if you want to find flaws, help yourself. If my kids want to get, get themselves a, a Facebook uh, a post and put on it, here's the flaws of my dad, help yourself. Yeah, yeah there are plenty of things to write because I faltered and I failed. And I wasn't perfect, and I do have flaws. But the reality of the matter is the atmosphere of the home that, 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 that my kids were raised in, and, and, and most of the kids in this church are raised in, it's a home to where mom and dad are in church today and where they're honoring God to the best of their ability. And, and even with their faltering failings, they've never turned their back and walked away from God. And so you can sit all day long and complain about your house. But can I tell you something that I've ministered to young people that would give their eye teeth to swap places with you and live in the horrible home you've lived in? I've knelt down my kids in orphanages and had them look in my face with tears streaming down their face and say, Brother Dane, my mama's coming to get me this weekend. I said, your kid, your, your, yeah, my mama's coming to get me this weekend. Really? Well, I'm so happy for you. And then talk with the orphanage director later and say, they say that every week and their, mama's, their mother cares nothing about them. Their mother's never coming to get them. That's just the hope of every kid in an orphanage. I'm going to tell you, here's Samson. He's growing up, and he's going to have to make some choices on his own sooner or later. I want you to know that he was blessed. I want you to know that the Bible says so. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him. No, no. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him. So if I said it this morning earlier. We were making announcements. If you look around you, you can find blessings. You can find blessings. You can find blessings. My dad was saved when I was 16 years old. He wasn't a perfect man, and he was awkward. My, my father, my father's father, we called him Papa. My granddad was raised in an orphanage called Bethesda Home for Boys in Savannah, Georgia. So there, weren't, there, there wasn't a lot of skill sets handed down from father to son. And, and, and my dad learned a great deal about grace and things like that from from being in church, and sometimes they were awkward. My father never said to me when I was growing up, ever, he never said to me, I love you, ever, never, ever, never, not one time, ever, did my dad ever look me in the face and say, I love you, until later on after he got saved, and I began to say it to him, and then my dad began to say it back, and at the end, last many years of his life, we never talked that we didn't say that. Christ made the difference in his life. 
but he was an honorable man. He was a World War II veteran. He was a hard worker. He brought, he brought his money home every day. He provided for the family. He was my protector. He was my hero. And I decided in my life that I would look at the blessings of being in the house of James Herring rather than the curses and the difficulties of it. And, and, and I, I, I had a wonderful relationship because I, God gave me enough sense to realize I was blessed. I had a brother that decided to look at everything else and died the death of an alcoholic because his whole life all he could ever see was what he did not have rather than what he did have. Samson was was blessed. The Spirit of God, it says there in verse number um, uh, 25, and the Spirit of the Lord, chapter 13, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. So what does that mean? It means that it means that you can see God working in his life. It means that God's gifted him and gifted him for a purpose. It means that God's preparing him so that he can deliver the nation of Israel from the shackles of bondage to the Philistines. It means that, that God has a place and a plan for Samson's life. Now look at me. I don't care who you are. God has a plan for your life. God, God, God has something for you doesn't mean you're going to fill a pulpit or teach a Sunday school class. It means that God, God wants to use you in His work, in His kingdom, for His will, in His way. God wants to use you to do something that is above and beyond what you could normally do without His help. I told my wife the other day, we were talking, and I went back to my high school days, and I remember giving... I remember giving oral reports where I just just freeze a garden hose, okay, and beat me with it. I, th- I'll take that over giving a report. Are you kidding me? No. Is there an electric chair somewhere? I'll sit in it and just turn, look, full power electric chair. I'll take that. Don't make me give an oral report. But of course you had to do it. So I'd stand up and oh my word, I would hang, thank God for pulpits. I just would hang on to it and so I wouldn't fall on my face, and I just, it just, it's amazing to me that when God chooses you for a purpose, He will enable you to do things you can't do on your own, okay? So I laughed one time, I wrote, was writing articles for the newspaper, and I went in, and the guy said, oh, the wordsmith is here. I'd never been called that in my life. The wordsmith is here. And I chuckle to myself because here's a guy that was void of words. Okay. Okay, back in those days, probably at least of words that could be printed. But those were hard days in my life, back in the days of the riots and things like that back in the South. And and they were not good days in my life. But it's not like, okay, God chose this guy because he, he can speak to people. No, he couldn't speak to people. And that's why God chose me. And, and I'm, I'm aware of that. And, I'm, and, and so here's, here's Samson. Here's Samson. God has a plan for him and God has a plan for you. Now, wait a minute. Look at me. All that may be true. All that may be true. But did you know this? Did you know with one bad decision, you can wind up on a trail that will lead you somewhere you never wanted to go? God's got a plan for your life. Yeah, God, God's, listen, here's Samson. Uh, and, and, and the Spirit of God moved him at times. Moved him, purpose for him. And yet now, we find out not only did Samson have a, a spiritual purpose, but Samson also had a selfish desire. Because the very opening of chapter 14, so we're transitioning now from chapter 13. Here's the last verse in chapter 13. God moved, the Spirit moved Samson. Yes, he's got a purpose. Chapter 14, verse 1, where Samson at? He's in Timnath. He's in Timnath of the Philistines looking at a woman of the world. The Philistines, anybody that reads their Bible almost even casually is aware of the fact that the Philistines were the arch enemies of the children of Israel. They were, if I could put it this way, the Philistines were the neighborhood bullies. They were the people that bullied Israel, slapping them around, pushing them around, always domineering them, always always sticking their finger in their face. 
That, that was the Philistines, and they made life miserable for the children of Israel. They worshipped Baal and Astart and Asherah and Dagon, and they observed um, pagan rituals that involved their children, and it was a godless society. I mean, this isn't, this isn't, just, this isn't just people that maybe, you know, there's a little bit of a different culture. No, these, these were godless people. They sacrificed their children to pagan gods. And, and, and the, the difference between the children of Israel and them, they were warned by God, don't have anything to do with them. So, so what would the next deliverer of Israel be, be doing, um, uh, hanging out with the enemy at, at Timnath? Why would he be flirting with the women of Philistia? Why would he marry someone that did not know his God, did not know his, his customs, did not know his way of life? It's because Samson had a selfish streak that focused only on his own happiness and was motivated by what he saw. And when he saw her, she was good-looking. And when she was good-looking and pleased him, he didn't say, get her for me because, because she will be a good mother to my children. He said, get her for me because I, I, I believe we have a lot in common. He just simply said, you get her for me because she pleases me. I like the way she walks. I like the way she looks. He let his eyes be the judge. Make me happy. His very words, get her for me. Now, the reply of the father and the mother are, are, are look at verse 3 of chapter 14. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never, is there never a woman among the daughters of my thy brethren? Uh, among all my people, is there never? You know, that shows me this wasn't his first foray into the Philistines and in, a, in, in, a, in an illicit relationship. This is the first time, this is the first time that he went down to Philistia, down to Timnath to find a, a, a world girl. This isn't the first time that he strayed from God's plan for his life. This is the first time the future deliverer of Israel is wandering off in the world. He said, is it... Is there never, this another one, are you kidding me? Is there never a godly girl that you could meet and marry and bring into our family? So it wasn't the first time. It wasn't the first time. I want to just tell you, there's great accounts given in the Bible the children of God ought to be very careful in their relationships with people in the world. Now, look, I, look you, you don't have to like this. It's fine. I'm just giving you Bible. So I didn't write this book. That may be shocking to you, but I didn't. I, I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even write one of the books of the Bible. Okay, so don't blame any of this on me. But God said, what fellowship hath light with darkness? What fellowship hath Christ with Belial? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. So what God is saying there is simply this. There's a difference. There should be a difference. And, and, and I, would, I would say to our guys, this isn't going to be good, so just hang on. I, I would say to our guys, that's not where I'd go shopping if I were you. If, if I were you, I wouldn't go shopping in the world. Because you, you're, you're not going to find somebody in Philistia that's going to have a godly background and even going to understand. And there are going to be struggles as you're going to go through that you don't even know anything about. Well, I know she looks good, and I know she walks suave, and I, 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 know, I know that when you look at her, she's, she's just the best thing you've ever seen in your life. But can I tell you, uh, beauty's only skin deep. And you're going to find out she's lacking a beauty on the inside that you're going to need as a Christian to walk through this life and the struggles of this life with you. I would say to you, your, your girl, to the girls that are here, can I say this to you? And, and, and maybe, maybe your, your dads would listen up a little bit too. Can I help you with this by just simply saying that you ought not dress like girls of Philistia? Yeah. Are we having fun yet? I mean, no, really. You kidding me? What, what happened where dads quit saying, no, 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 I don't want you wearing that. 
Now, I'm going to say something. I want you to listen to me. Every dad in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about because you know men, and you know how men look, and you know how men think, and you know how men act, okay? And, and when you allow your daughter to go out into a world that's filled with men like that, you're being unfair to her because you know, and you're not helping her, and you're not telling her. And my girls grew up knowing that I was not going to be shy about advising them how to present themselves in a manner that's, that, that, that's, that's, not, um, that's not worldly. Wow, it's quiet today. That's great. Now I'm going to step out on the limb a little further because it's cracking right now. and So I'm going to go a little further out on the limb. Okay. Now you look at me and listen to me. You could do anything you want to do. When I'm through with this message, I'm not following you to your house, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You don't. You don't owe me an account. But you got a teenage daughter, and she's going down to Wahoos, and she's wearing what they wear down at Wahoos. I guess that's the place. Is it Wahoos? I mean, is that the place where where the water slide is and do what? Some of y'all have been there. <laughs> Gotta get a light mood, man. Look at me. Okay, look at me. Listen. Now, now come on. Come, come on, guys. Come on. When is it right for a girl... I don't care what the color is, and I don't care if it's got polka dots and small porpoises on it. When is it right for a girl to walk around in something that is the equivalent of her underwear? In front of guys that are there watching. Now, you say, oh, preacher, I'm not going to come back because I don't want that kind of preacher. Well, that's fine, but you, you, you're getting it right now. <laughs> because it's truth. It's truth. If your daughter walked across your front yard in her underwear, you'd say, what, have you lost your mind? But, but if it's just got some pattern on it and you throw a little water in it, why are you preaching this? Because I love our young ladies. And we ought to be man enough to step up to the plate and protect our young ladies from a world that is full of wolves. That's just the honest truth about it. So God help us. He's in the wrong place, and he's looking for a mate. This, here's a good verse. Let me give you this, and then I'm going to move. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. That's, that's pretty good. That's just a pretty good. Just, it's just modest apparel. I, I think that's the best verse. Just modest apparel. Just just. If it's modest, it's okay. If it's not, it's not. So, and by the way, society owes more to its tone to women than any other. Because women set the tone of our culture. And, 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 and so it's so, so important that we realize that Samson's making an alliance with the world. And, and he's not only finding his fellowship there, but he's, he's finding his wife from among them. Now here's the problem, okay? Here, here's the problem. In this culture... All right. In this culture, it was the dad who set up, who arranged the marriage. <laughs> so how'd you like that? How'd you like your daddy picking your mate? Wouldn't that be great? Okay, here's dad down. He's arranging this marriage. And, and, and part of the reason why he did that was because in this culture, the dowry was not paid, it was, it was not paid to, the, to the groom. It was paid to the parents of the bride in this culture. And so he needed Manoah and his wife to go down and arrange this marriage because they were going to, because when they gave money it meant okay my son's well off enough he'll take care of your daughter and we know your daughter has value to you and since you're losing your daughter to my son we're going to pay you some money for her and the the sum of money showed how much they valued her. So he's he's got a problem here. He's gone to his mom and dad and say look I found a good looking girl. I mean listen to me she is amazing. She's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Get her for me. And his dad 
his dad gives him a backhanded slap and says, She's, she is of the uncircumcised, meaning spiritually different Philistines. Are you kidding me? Can you never? Are, are you going to keep doing this to us? Can, can you never find a good girl that has a godly background? No. No, we're not doing that. And he's got trouble because he needs their approval or they won't give their daughter and he needs their money to let them know he's got some stability so he's asking his parents to earn him respect by cooperating with him. Third of all, I want you to notice that Samson had a secret life, okay? So, so there's some things going on behind the scene in Samson's life that, that no one else knows about. He's hiding some things, okay? He's not open. He's hiding things. He's, he's keeping secrets. There's a part of his life that even his parents don't know of. So he goes, isn't this significant? Why would the Scripture say this? I mean, he, he's traveling, uh, Brother Chip, and, and a lion attacks him. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you, are you telling me you went home and you were jumped by a lion? You wouldn't say anything to your parents? Yeah, you'd say, hey, you won't believe it today. I got in a fight with a lion. I fought the lion. But look what the Bible says in verse number 6 of chapter 14, the last verse. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Wow. Are you kidding me? That's significant, an event in your life, and you don't tell your parents that, that, that you... I'm in... No, listen, a communication was breaking down. He's, he's got a secret part of his life. I don't want to tell them. I don't want to tell them. Why? Because, because on my way back... Maybe from visiting the girl, maybe on a date night, whatever. I, there was some trouble that happened to me. I, I came out of it alive. I won the victory by God's good grace and God's power, but I don't want my mom and dad to know about it. So he doesn't tell his parents. Okay. Verse number 9, he, he comes back by later, and the carcass of the lion is there. And guess what's in the carcass of the lion? There's a honeycomb in there. Wait a minute. That's in the dead carcass. Hold it. What is he? He's a Nazarite. What's the third requirement of the Nazarite? Nah, don't eat it. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. So it's a lot more than just honey. How many of you like honey? Oh, son, please. Come on. And so, honey and peanut butter. But anyhow, so, so, so he finds this honey, and it's like, this is awesome, man. I'm going to take it. But, but what he doesn't do, listen, look, look what the verse says in verse number 9 here. It, it says, it says um, and he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and gave them, and they did eat, but he told not them that he took it out of the carcass of a dead animal. Why? Because according to the ceremonial law, his mom and dad were forbidden to eat of it also. So he's going to give to his mom and dad something that had they known, you know, you know, why, you know why he was living a secret life? You know why I wasn't putting all the cards on the table? You, you, you know why I wasn't laying it all out? Because if he did, it would change the way they looked at him. He broke his Nazarite vow, but he wasn't going to tell his mom and dad he did. He disobeyed God, but he wasn't going to tell his mom and daddy. He got in a fight with a lion, but he wasn't going to tell his mom and daddy. He's living a secret life. Can I tell you, look at me, the most miserable you'll ever be in your life is when you are living a double life. You're living a double life. And what people don't know is that somewhere down below you, there's a... There's a separate life on a computer. There's a life somewhere at the office. There's something going on in some dark corner, dark secret, some dating site, some place. You've got something else going on, and you can come, you can come in front of your church, in front of your family, and you can look like everything's great, but your foundation is faulty. I preached a revival in Albany, Georgia years ago, and, and uh, the Flint River, that, that, that its flood level is 18 feet flooded out. It crested at 42 feet. I saw Albany State University above the second floor window. There was a water line. I looked down in the little parking lots, and all you could see was the roof of a, of a, of a Kmart uh, shopping plaza where there were ducks sitting on the roof of the plaza. 
The water pressure was so great that caskets popped out of the ground and began to float down to the river. They had to gather them up in nets and tie them to trees until the waters receded. They could find out who they were and where they were and rebury them. It was, it was a mess. We came down to a road. The pastor parked and said, I want, you to, I want to show you something. So we, we parked the vehicle and got out and began to walk down that road. And as I looked down the road, I saw some barriers up. And I thought, what in the world? I could see the peak of a house. And we walked down there. And all of a sudden, I was standing around this giant, as big as the floor of this gym, this sinkhole. There were two houses. There was one here that was tilted slightly to the right. And... and the ground, the yard, and things had fallen down, and you were certain that if you walked inside, there would be stuff piled up on one side of the wall. On the other side, there was a house set totally perfectly flat. In the backyard was a swing set. Parked beside it was a Ford F-150 pickup truck, and you could look into the porch and see the plant still hanging there. It was a sinkhole. What he told me was that underneath those houses, unbeknownst, two weeks earlier or a day earlier had you come and looked at them, you would have not had known that underneath that was a limestone fault. And when the water pressure got so high that the limestone fault began to crumble and the sinkhole began to drop and two perfectly normal-looking houses fell, they fell below because they had a faulty foundation. I've known men that were so respectable, I would have put my name on the line for them. Only to find out later that there was a limestone fault in their life, a secret life, a secret part where nobody knew what they were or what they were doing and it caved in below them. Oh, dear friend, listen to me. Samson had a secret life. He was hiding things. The best freedom you'll ever find in your life is when you come honest with God and you live a transparent, open, and honest life. You see, he didn't lie to his parents. He just didn't tell them the full truth. He covered for himself. Proverbs 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Last of all, Last of all, Samson not only had a secret life, but Samson had a seductive nature. Now, I want you to look at me. Verse, look in verse 19. Would you do that? Everybody look at uh, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 9. Watch this. Talking about the honey. He took there in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and his mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, doesn't that seem innocent, Brother Mark? I mean, think about it. He, he finds this lion. He's not supposed to be there. He's violating his vow. He's in trouble with God because he's not supposed to touch the carcass of that dead animal. So he's disobeying God. He's violating his vow. He's self-willed now. He wants the woman. He's going to get the woman. And he's going to get the woman by hook or crook or any way he can do it. I'm, I'm, I've made my mind up. I'm getting that woman for me. So he takes the honey, and he's eating it as he goes, this honeycomb, and he comes to his mom and dad, and he says, here. Here. Come on, guys. Enjoy. I just want to do something for you. I just want to give you a little something here. Just, just, eat, just eat some honey and... Just something, I, I, I was on my way home, and as soon as I saw the honey, I thought about y'all, and I just thought, you know, mom and dad would probably enjoy this. I want to I I bring, bring some to mom and dad. So he gives them honey. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, watch this, watch me, look at me. Up until this time, they took their stand. They weren't compromising? No, no, sir, no, 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 no. It's time that you find a good girl. We're not... No, we're not going along with you. No, they're uncircumcised Philistines. We're not having anything to do with it. Hey, Mom and Dad, here's some honey I brought you. Enjoy the honey. And the next verse, verse number 10, after he gave them the honey, the next verse, verse 10, so his father went down unto the woman. Samson made a feast for so used the young men to do. 
Do you know what that means? That means that Samson used the honey to play his father like a cheap fiddle. You, you, you know what that means? It means simply this, that sin always brings you honey to make the compromise more palatable. It, it, it means, it means that, that Satan, who is the master deceiver, will, will, listen, he will sweeten the pot for you to make it where you're willing to do that. Look, look, James chapter 1, let me, let me read that for you. For every man is tempted, listen to this, every man is tempted, James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay. And lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know the word entice there means? It means to bait. So you know what's happening here? What's happening here is that Samson is baiting his parents. No, we're not doing that. We're not going to do that. Hey, Dad, I mowed the lawn for you today. Oh, you did? Yeah. I cleaned your car for you today. I mean, it's, that, that's, what, that's what's happening here. It's the gift to soften the resolve, to soften the will, and the reality of the matter is it, it, Satan always does that. Samson wanted the woman. He needed his parents' cooperation. And the honey was the bait to get them to consent and go along. And he, they did exactly that. It, it may be a child that, that, that needs you to empower them to do wrong. Maybe a co-worker that wants you to loosen your beliefs so that you can fit in better. Stop standing out on the job so much. Maybe it's a boss that all he's asking you to do in order to get the promotion is just compromise. You don't have to be so rigid. Here's some honey. Okay? Here, here, listen, listen, if you'll just let go, I'll promote you. If if look, if you'll just come to the if you'll just come, I, you don't have to participate, just come. Can I tell you this? Can I tell you that there were there are times in my life, had I gone where I was invited to go, I would not be behind this pulpit today. Don't, don't listen, look at me. Don't eat the honey. Don't eat the honey. No, if you'll marry me, I'll promise you I'll change. No, don't eat the honey. If, if you'll just date me, I'll be different. I, look, no, if you'll date me, I'll go to church with you. No, don't eat the honey. If you'll just compromise, I'll give you the promotion, but, but you can't be so rigid. No, don't eat the honey. Mom and Dad, if you'll just, if you'll just agree with me, and, and if you'll just approve of what I'm doing, then, 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 then we can have a, a much closer and a much better relationship. No, don't eat the honey. Because long after you've eaten the honey and digested the honey and the sweetness of the honey is gone, you've got problems coming down the line. The honey won't last forever. So, his parents, it's true that they had no knowledge of where the honey came from, but they dead sure knew he was, they weren't supposed to go to Timnath, but the honey, the honey softened their resolve. And therefore, to, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it sin. Now, I'm going to close, Okay. But how did it turn out? How did the marriage go? How about him and mom and dad? How, how did things work out? Well, I don't have time to go through the rest of the chapter. You can read it when you get home. But if you'll walk with me, let's just walk through the chapter. And you know what we're having to step around? The dead bodies of 30 people that Samson slew to pay his debt. In those days at a marriage, they gave a riddle. That was a part of the custom. It actually was a Greek custom that was passed over, so they gave a riddle. And if you guessed the riddle, then the groom would give you stuff. If you missed the riddle, they would give stuff to you. So they tried to get a really hard riddle, and so he got one about the lion and the honey. And they couldn't guess it. At the end of seven days, they got his, they got his Philistine wife to tell them she sided with her people rather than her husband and so 
So she told them, and Samson lost his cool, and he goes down because he owes 30. Remember, they got 30 guys running? He owes 30 garments, so he goes into Philistia. And, 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 and I understand that God used that to stir this up between Israel that ultimately brought about. But listen to me, Samson was willful, and he slew 30 men in order to get their garments. And so there are 30 dead people because Samson went to Timnath. And I know full well that God uses bad things to bring good things out of, but God doesn't cause bad things. And ultimately, his bride was given to his best man, the man that the Bible says he used. He didn't even know him. He used him to be his friend. Verse number 20, but Samson's wife was given to his companion whom he had used to be his friend. So let me just say this, didn't work out real well, didn't turn out real good. The marriage was gone, the relationship was, and by the way, you know what this does? Check it out. It sets a pattern in the life of Samson that will wind up one day with him under a pile of rubble dead. He loses his sight, he loses his life, and he plays with the gift of God as though it were marbles. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just tell you, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, but you can discard it. Oh, don't do that. I beg our young people, don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't, don't do it. Just, no. God's will for your life is always better than anything you could ever plan. Be faithful to the Lord. Let's bow our heads, could we? I don't know where you're at. I'm, I'm not even sure how this message applies. I can't apply it to every heart. Only God knows the heart. Maybe, maybe your problem is the secret life. Maybe your problem is the selfish, stubborn will. You want your way or the highway, and you, there's no in-between. Maybe, maybe somebody's giving you honey. You're deciding whether to take a mouthful and give in or whether to say no thank you and keep your stand for God. It may be on your job. It may be in your family. You've got family members that, are, that are, are, are trying to get you to change. Don't eat the honey. Stay right with your God. That's the one thing that matters in the long run. Because if you, if you give in, it's not going to work out anyhow. It's not going to work out anyhow. Stay faithful to your God. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'll take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're saved. Don't leave this place without allowing us that joy and that privilege. Our Father, we're grateful today for your word. Thank you for the honesty of the Bible, the truth, the flaws, the reality that you do have a plan and that the Spirit of God will work if we'll just allow it, but how we can derail everything you want to do with us. We can derail it by our own stubborn, selfish will. Help us, dear God, I pray, to be yielded to you that you can use us as you would. Lord, help us not to eat the honey. When the world comes to bring change to our life and to cause us to drift and compromise in our convictions, Lord, help us not to do that. I pray that we would not find our fellowship with the things of this world, that we'd not let the world set the bar for us, but that we would walk according to your word. And what you do, God, we'll give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.